Well, welcome to another edition of The Bottom Line, another Everyone Wednesday edition of the program. Roger Marsh here. It's so glad that you are with us today. Boy, these Everyone Wednesdays days are just so cool. Uh, last week, we had Rick Pearson from Prophecy USA talking about uh, the, the exodus that is coming. And of course, he's talking about the tribulation. And Rick's focus on what's happening in the U.S., what's happening in the world, what's happening with biblical prophecy just gets everybody all, you know, <laughs> geared up. And today we have another prophecy book to talk about, and I'm, I, I know you're going to be excited. So it's Everyone Wednesday. We have three copies of this book to give away. And before I even tell you what it is, let me give you the phone number, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. It's interesting how many people are looking uh, for prophecies, as it were. And I think more people in the world are looking at prophecy these days than maybe ever before. Uh, you know, and it's interesting, too, because there are some people that say, okay, well, I'm a Christian, but there are people in my family who aren't, and why do they, would they care about a book, you know, like about a, one of the prophetic books in the Old Testament, for example? This is a golden opportunity for us as believers to sit down with people who might have differing viewpoints on ours, different worldviews, things of that nature, and have a conversation about what's going on in the world. You know, if everything is going to stay the same, like, for example, you know, we as Christians believe that God is a good God and the Bible is the inerrant word of God and Jesus Christ, the living son of God, and the Holy Spirit can live in you. And one day, ultimately, our goal is to be in heaven, but not before God completes his restoration project and his reclamation project, if you will, and that is restoring everything that he created and saw that was good into that good tove in the Old Testament state. And then there are other people who say, look, I have a perfectly good life without going to church. I have a perfectly good life without praying. I have a perfectly good life without giving money to a cause. I mean, I'm fine. My life is working. I'm fine. And you know, it's amazing how many people can get by like that. Even people in the church can get by like that. I remember years ago, I I think I was in college or maybe uh, early young adult years, I came across a book by Chuck Swindoll. Uh, who is the uh, Bible teacher on the Insight for Living program. And Chuck had written a book called Improving Your Serve. And it was a book that, I don't know how I got a hold of it, but the idea was, you know, improving your serve to people who play tennis, like my wife and me and stuff like that. Um, You're talking about the service that starts the point of every game in tennis. And so, you know, improving your serve would people would readily recognize as, oh, that's a a sports reference. But he was talking about improving your serve as in how you serve others, how you serve God, how you serve the kingdom. And he has an entire chapter on loving what happens when people in the church get more hung up on people who are in leadership positions rather than what God wants. You know, some writers uh, in modern times will say when they start trusting the blessing more than the blessor, you know. And it's, it's interesting in this one chapter because he was talking about the number of people. And he, you know, Chuck was one of those guys who had to wrestle with this. He was a, a dynamic Bible teacher and speaker. And then he launched a radio ministry and that sent him into a whole different dimension. His books were selling hundreds of thousands of copies. They did television. I mean, he was a, he was a big deal. But here he was right in the middle, if not the height of his success, writing a book on how to improve your serve to serve others in the kingdom of God and put a whole chapter and said, hey, here's what happens when people in the church say, oh, I'm worshiping God, but they're really more worshiping their pastor or their car or their job or their position. 
And there are a lot of people, let's face it, in the culture, either they're worldly folks who use biblical principles to their financial gain and they've got a good life and they think they don't need, quote unquote, God. Or there are people who are Christians who are living what they consider to be a good godly life, but they don't realize that what they are actually focusing on is good godly living that does not include God. And it's amazing to me how many times we've seen this happen over the course of the past couple of years where a Bible study leader, teacher, you know, somebody who's a really influential man or woman of God winds up getting outed, I guess, for who they really are. And (laughs) what winds up happening, Ravi Zacharias, for example, is you see somebody who had this fantastic ministry, thriving ministry. I I was saddened to come across a Facebook post the other day. And it was from the people who are still operating the Ravi Zacharias Facebook page. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I liked Ravi Zacharias's Facebook page so I could get his updates. You know, the videos of him debating atheists and gay activists and, you know, secularists and whatnot. And they were so good. And then I think, wait, but when he passed away, we found out in the last couple of years of his life uh, that Ravi Zacharias actually was a sexual predator. And how horrifying it was to find out that he had a back condition or so he led people to believe. And that's why he used to visit places where he could get a massage to work out his back problems. I was part of a church where he had a, a pastor with a bad sciatic nerve. He used to go to a, a place to get a chiropractic treatment every month. That's not uncommon. But the fact that Ravi had used ministry funds then to buy a couple of massage parlors, that he had women who would travel with him, that, they, I mean, it's just, oh, it... it and the more they uncovered, the more they began to realize that there was hush money and the ch- people who donated to Ravi Zacharias's ministry wound up being swindled. Now, the, that there, I don't see anyone being held guilty by God for making a donation to a ministry that was u- misusing money that way if they were completely innocent. But can you imagine? I mean, think of the, the, the horror of a guy like Ravi Zacharias to have literally led hundreds of thousands of people to Christ, discipled people, led them into deeper knowledge of him. And then to ex- you, yourself be excluded from heaven and be condemned to eternal torment because of this unconfessed sin and the way you used God for your own advantage. Well, Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived, God will not be mocked. And so it's interesting how I think we are potentially as the church, we may be missing a golden opportunity to share Christ with people, not because we're going to say, hey, let me get this four step plan and I'm going to give you this four spiritual laws and you know, whatever, but rather to say, gosh, isn't it crazy what's happening around here right now? All these leaders and these changes in the weather and changes in the economy. I mean, the, here's a starting point. San Diego announcing that San Diego County, we, we think of such a great idyllic place to live and who wouldn't want to live there. San Diego County has the second highest inflation rate of every county in the United States. There are over 3,000 counties in the U.S. and San Diego's inflation rate is going up second. Now, there's a good conversation piece with someone. Hey, did you see this? Wow, San San Diego County has the second highest rate of inflation? Oh, my goodness. How'd that... Boy, isn't it crazy what's happening with money? And then the money leads into cryptocurrency. It leads you, well, we're not on the gold standard now. What happens if this BRICS thing that happens with Brazil and Russia and India and China and and I don't remember who the, oh, the yes is, uh, Saudi Arabia. And what if we wind up going on the rupee instead of the, uh, the US dollar as the standard? I mean, there are so many different questions, but then that leads to the ultimate, where is all of this heading? 
and a prophetic word is actually with the hearts of everybody. I mean, we want to know what's happening. We want to know what's going on. And the prophet who I think typifies this the best for us in scripture is Isaiah. And because of the fact that Isaiah had this kind of wayward wandering way, way about him, but a lot of people don't realize that the central message of the book of Isaiah is that God saves sinners. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Isaiah preached the gospel. And Dr. Jonathan Gibson has written a great Bible commentary on the book of Isaiah. It's called Isaiah, Good News for the Wayward and the Wandering. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's Everyone Wednesday. We have three copies of this book to give away right now. I'll give you a chance to get in on the action. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, you're going to hear my conversation with John Jonathan Gibson talking about good news for the wayward and wandering. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You've been in an accident, and the worst thing you can do is to wait to contact Stephanie at Cover Law. Stephanie frequently talks to people who waited too long to seek help with their cases or tried to handle them on their own, and by then, it's too late. Family and friends mean well, but they can give truly bad advice. Often, even trusted advisors will try and convince you to wait for more compensation. Stephanie knows the insurance companies want you to wait. They don't want you to file police reports, and they don't want you to reach out to Stephanie at Cover Law. That's because Stephanie is keenly aware of the tactics they use and why. She spent 20 years litigating for insurance companies and knows the strategy they will use to minimize their liability and your awarded amount. Insurance companies are for profit. They don't share Stephanie's Christian values, and typically they won't be fair to you. Don't deny yourself the ability to get better. Go with a proven expert in the field of personal injury and contact Cover Law at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R today. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a topic of conversation that often does kind of spring up, uh, the words of Isaiah talking about, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And But is there more to the gospel narrative in the book of Isaiah than perhaps we might first have realized? Joining me today here on the program is Dr. Jonathan Gibson, an ordained minister in the International Presbyterian Church UK, currently serves as Associate Professor of Old Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. He's the author of a brand new book that I highly commend to you and your congregation. This book is called Isaiah, Good News for the Wayward and Wandering, and we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Jonathan Gibson, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thanks very much for having me on the show, Roger. Well, appreciate your time and expertise, especially with when you consider the fact that oftentimes we will take, you know, maybe Isaiah 9, 6 or you know, something like that, drop it into a Christmas pageant, and that's about as far as our study goes. But there's so much more to the gospel narrative in the book of Isaiah than just the prophecy of the uh, coming Christ. Talk to us about why it's so important for us to, to understand that the central message of the gospel is also very central to the message in the book of Isaiah. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, we know verses like Isaiah 7, 14, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And uh, chapter 9, verse 6, the government shall be upon his shoulders. He will be called the Prince of Peace. And we know those texts. We associate them with Christmas. Uh, but we don't really know the rest of the book of Isaiah. And at one level, that's understandable. It's 66 chapters long. Um, it's uh, got a lot of interesting things in it, some deep and profound things, and also some things that are just hard to understand in relation to Assyria, in relation to Babylon, 
And so we can tend to think that it only has little verses or chapters here and there that are uh, connected to the actual gospel message, and the rest is really for Old Testament Israel and not relevant for us today. But I think the whole book of Isaiah is about the gospel. I think you could summarize the book by saying that Isaiah is about how God saves his people through judgment for the transformation of the world. The gospel is in the whole of Isaiah. Uh, It was Martin Luther, the German reformer, who said that Isaiah is really the Romans of the Old Testament. Uh, Because he loved Romans so much, he had recovered the true gospel as he studied the book of Romans. It's Paul's most expansive explanation of the gospel in the New Testament. And Isaiah is a bit like that as well. Of all the books in the Old Testament, it's probably the one that is the deepest and most expansive about God's good news of salvation through judgment for the transformation of the world uh, in the Old Testament. So I don't think it should be a book that we avoid just because of its size, uh, but one that we do try and read and uh, see the good news of uh, God's salvation in the Old Testament. Right, and more than just reading a few a few verses in the first 40 chapters, and then the good part, starting with Isaiah chapter 40, and I say that good part in quotes. Uh, let's talk about that. You mentioned the, uh, the the justice aspect of it. I mean, there are a lot of people in the culture right now who are crying out for justice. I mean, it, it's the heart's cry of so many people, both in the church and outside of the church as well. Um, one of the lessons you include in this book is about how we are redeemed by justice, and that's kind of a shock to the system for us in the body of Christ who say, wait, we're saved by grace through faith, you know, God so loved the world. Where, where does the justice component come in? Help us understand, Dr. Jonathan Gibson, how Isaiah helps us understand the justice component in our redemption story. Uh, yeah, so one of the themes in Isaiah is that the servant of the Lord <clears throat> will establish and execute justice and righteousness in the earth. And the reason that theme arises is because Israel as a nation was supposed to do that uh, for the world as as an example to the world. If you remember back in Exodus, Israel was to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests and um, a treasured possession to God. Uh, Israel was to win the world by being different from the world. And one of the ways they were to be different from the world is they were to love righteousness and do justice, uh, walk humbly before their God. And one of the things that Isaiah picks up on in chapter one of the book early on is that Israel or Judah, as it was, it was the southern kingdom, uh, Judah has an an external form of religiosity, of righteousness, of doing all the things that God commands. But Isaiah says, but you actually neglect the finer points of the law uh, of doing justice for the poor, for the widow, for the fatherless, the orphan. And uh, he just picks up on this, that religion or the religious life with God in the Old Testament is not just about the Sabbath. It's not just about the ceremonies at the temple. It's about how we live throughout the whole week. And so Isaiah starts to critique the nation in that regard and expose their lack of justice in the society and their lack of engagement with some of the social justice issues. Now, social justice today, I think, needs carefully defined. It can be defined a whole lot of different ways. And it's important that as Christians, we don't get sucked into the way the world defines social justice. But the Bible has always been clear that God's people ought to be people concerned with justice Mm -hmm. in society. The good news in Isaiah is that while Israel, the nation, has failed to execute justice on the earth, God sends a new Isaiah, the suffering servant, this 
uh, embodiment of Isaiah, this person who will personify and embody Isaiah. And God sends them to establish and execute justice on the earth. And that, of course, is the Lord Jesus who comes yes. as the servant of Isaiah. And we see that in his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He teaches us how to love one another. The first commandment is to love God with heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second commandment is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that's really where I think the issue of social justice should be located in the second commandment. And Jesus's point is, uh, you haven't been able to keep these commandments. I've come to keep them on your behalf, to die, receive the curse for your breaking of the commandments. But if you believe in me and you are united to me by faith, then I, this is the way you live as a child of God, as a, as a brother of Christ in the family. Uh, we love our neighbor as ourselves. So if we, it's important to understand the justice issue through the lens of the gospel mm-hmm. and how Christ speaks of uh, justice in the New Testament. Dr. Jonathan Gibson is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, currently serves as Associate Professor of Old Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, author of the brand new book called Isaiah, A Good News for the Wayward and the Wandering. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, though I have a feeling Dr. Gibson at the time, uh, by the time our half hour is over, I'll be saying Isaiah properly too. And I appreciate your... <laughs> it's yeah, great. When... You, you picked up on my Irish accent. Yes, yes, certainly did. Well, what was it? George Bernard Shaw said that the, the U.S. and the U.K. were two people separated by a common language. So I realize you've got a That's little right. bit of a, yeah, that commonality. Hey, let, let's tu- let's yeah. turn to another issue uh, when we talk about you know the the gospel message and what it means for us as Christians to fully understand who we are in Christ and whose we are in Christ. Uh, you have a lesson in this book about the way of holiness. And I'd love for you to talk about how Isaiah is where we began to see the holiness of God, the, that holiness manifest, and how that present help literally comes uh, you know, in the future hope. Yeah, so um, Isaiah chapter 6 is really the classic passage in Isaiah of God's holiness when Isaiah has the vision of God in the temple. And he sees a seraphim in the temple uh, singing to God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so the book begins with God, the Holy One. In fact, that's the title of God in the most common title of God in the book of Isaiah, the Holy One. That's how Isaiah dresses God and speaks about him. And that's the God that Isaiah sees himself in the temple when King Uzziah dies. He says, I saw the Lord high and seated upon a throne. And what that does for Isaiah, having had the wow experience of seeing God in all his glory in the temple, uh, is it turns to a woe response. Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a sinful man, and I live among a sinful people. So even Isaiah the prophet, who would have been a man known for his holiness, set apart among the people to keep the people in check, with words and visions from God, even he himself sees that he's not fit even to hold office. And so that's where I think we need to begin when we think about uh, holiness even for ourselves. We need to begin with the Holy One, God himself, uh, the thrice Holy God. It's interesting that in the Bible, God is never called love, 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 or justice, justice, justice. He's only ever called holy, holy, holy. Interesting. And uh, I think it is the crowning attribute of all the attributes. And really what it means is God's distinctness, his otherness. It's really a statement about God being God, his godness. 
And um, it, there's obviously a moral purity there to God, but it's more than that. It's the creatures in heaven are singing holy, 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 because they realize that God is completely and utterly different from them and other than them, set apart from them. And I think we need to begin there if we're going to think about our own holiness. We are relating to a God who himself is so holy uh, that we're not even able to be in his presence without feeling undone in our own sin. But then the good news of Isaiah is that God himself provides a way of atonement for us to become holy. You have it in Isaiah chapter 6 where the seraphim take a coal from the altar uh, where there would have been an altar in the temple and takes a coal and touches Isaiah's lips. It was an altar of atonement, of sacrifice, and there's a burning coal taken and put on Isaiah's lips to cleanse the sinfulness of his lips. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that it's God himself in his holiness who is providing the sacrifice and the atonement for Isaiah to be cleansed. We tend to think of holiness connected only to God's righteousness and his judgment for sin. But God's holiness is also connected to his grace because holiness means otherness, distinctness. What the Bible is communicating and what Isaiah communicates is that God is totally different from us. Um, We condemn people who are sinners. God forgives them. He's different. He's distinct and other. And so God provides the the atoning sacrifice. And that obviously comes to fulfillment through the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, a passage we're so familiar with, that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Through his chastisements, we have peace with God and we're justified in his presence. And that's the beginning of our holiness journey, that when we are people who put our trust in the suffering servant of Isaiah, God sanctifies us. He sets us apart as holy and then calls us to be his holy people. Uh, in the world. And so the way of holiness in Isaiah is first understanding who God is as the Holy One, understanding who we are as the sinful ones, and then accepting the sacrifice that God has provided to cleanse us of our unholiness, and then to live as a holy people in his world. So that's really what I'm, uh, what I, you know, what I touch on in the book in regards to holiness. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful passage, and it's a it's a powerful reminder, and, and one that might even be a, a first exposure to a lot of people who've been coming to church for a while and maybe hearing what they thought was the gospel and not realizing that holiness component was so critical. Dr. Jonathan Gibson is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Isaiah, Good News for the Wayward and Wandering, an outstanding study guide, especially if you're looking for a Bible study to take you through the Advent season and get you all the way up. It's longer than four weeks, by the way. So uh, but you'll want to check it out at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. 
Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we're talking about how the gospel is preached and proclaimed in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Dr. Jonathan Gibson is with me today here on the Bottom Line, an ordained minister in the International Presbyterian Church of the UK. Currently serves as Associate Professor of Old Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. Is the author of the book called Isaiah, Good News for the Wayward and Wandering. And we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's Everyone Wednesday, and so everybody who calls in is going to win something. We've got Dr. David Jeremiah's July uh devotional books. We've still got a few Charles Stanley items, things from Dr. Jeremy McGarity at Skyline Church, and three copies of Dr. Jonathan Gibson's book to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, uh, it, it, oftentimes people will say, we are a New Testament church. I go to a church that we follow the principles of the New Testament. In fact, there are several denominations that kind of have abandoned the Old Testament altogether. I think it was even Dr. Charles Stanley's son, Andy Stanley, who was talking about how he thought that the old traditional Western church needed to, and I want to make sure I'm getting the quote here correctly, that we would unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament and follow the New Testament. But the problem with doing so is, well, twofold. First and foremost, the gospel is woven all throughout all of the pages of the 66 books of the canon of scripture. So to disregard 39 of the 20 of the 66 books, it really doesn't do us any good, number one. Number two, Jesus said, and I'm paraphrasing here, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He is here to restore and renew to make all things right with everything God created, God's created order of mankind, nature, science, the whole shot, and bring it all back into order the way he wants it. And it's starting to happen. I mean, we got a foretaste of that in the early days of the pandemic three years ago, right? People stopped driving. They stayed home for a couple of weeks. And what happened? The environment started turning greener. The sky started turning bluer. And you got a little foretaste of what heaven is going to be like here with the new heaven and new earth. But if you ignore... The Old Testament role. Jesus said, look, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. And there are certain things that Jesus did not comment on in the new because, quite frankly, what was established in the old is good enough. Uh, So grateful that Dr. Jonathan Gibson is talking about the gospel as proclaimed in the Old Testament book of Isaiah today with us here on The Bottom Line. It's Everyone Wednesday. More of my conversation with Dr. Jonathan Gibson in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Dr. Jonathan Gibson, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Dr. Gibson is ordained in the International Presbyterian Church UK, currently serves as Associate Professor of Old Testament, Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. And uh, how close is Philly to uh, Dublin, Dr. Gibson, in terms of culturally? And what was it a bit of a culture shock for you to find yourself on the shores of the States here? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's lots of similarities, but also differences as well. I'm from Belfast in the north okay. of Ireland and Northern Ireland. And, um, you know, there's similarities. You know, you've got a quite a strong Irish influence here on the east coast of America. So in many ways, I've I've, uh, I've felt at home here. It's been not too bad at all. That's good. You're, now, you're very, you... Americans are very friendly. So, yeah. Uh, 
Well, very friendly unless you're not a Phillies fan during the playoffs, but that's for a whole conversation. <laughs> Another conversation, right, I yeah. guess, because they're they're playing well. Hey, let's let's talk about where the new book is called Isaiah, Good News for the Wayward and Wandering. We've got a link for the book up at the bottom line show.com. Um you, I'm, I'm going to go musical on you here for just a moment because my father was a choir director and a music educator. And so mm-hmm. whenever I think of Isaiah, I, I, I always start to jump to Isaiah chapter 40, and I hear the first verse being sung by a tenor in Handel's Messiah. And you yeah. address this in one of the lessons. So I, I won't embarrass me or you by trying to sing it, but uh, what what is it about that line? That's kind of the turning point, isn't it, in Isaiah where we've had all sorts of judgment and kind of the wrath of God for the first 39 books. And then by the time we get to 40, things are starting to turn around and we're starting to see some of the good news. And the first thing we hear from Isaiah from God is comfort ye my people. Well, talk about why that's important for us to understand. Yeah, again, those are probably some of the most well-known verses in Isaiah, and particularly with Handel's Messiah, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord, says your God. Um, I think you're right. The first 39 chapters speaking broadly, are really about God's judgment <clears throat> on Israel and Judah uh, for their sins and how they're going to go into exile because of their sins. And then the second half, chapters 40 to 66, is really about God's salvation, how he himself is going to come and save his people. And chapter 40 begins by telling them that God has, um, it's a prophecy looking forward to the future, saying that God has uh, paid for all of their sins uh, that Israel has received from the Lord's hand double uh, of her sins, uh, double for all her sins. And what he's talking about there is the exile, when God would send his people into exile for a limited time, 70 years, he would then come and bring them back. And in chapter 40, he starts to talk about the return to the land, that God, because he loves them and because he's holy, he had to judge them for their sin. But it was for a time you know, God does not afflict from the heart. After he is afflicted for a time, he shows uh, compassion according to his steadfast love, as Lamentations chapter 3 explains. Mm-hmm. And it's the same in Isaiah. He's, he's angry for a time, and then he comes in love to Israel and Judah, offering them forgiveness. And chapter 40 is about how he himself is going to come. There's the talk of the voice in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, get up onto the house tops and shout that God is coming and God reigns. And then there's that beautiful part in uh, chapter 12, chapter 11, where he speaks of God, Isaiah, as a shepherd. He will tend his flock like a shepherd and will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young. Also part of Handel's Messiah in that song. And it's a beautiful picture of God coming to be our shepherd coming for wayward and wandering sheep who have strayed from the path, coming to forgive them. But the surprise this time is not that Israel are going to go back into exile in order for that to happen. No, rather the exile itself was a shadow, a signpost of another exile to come, that the servant, the true Israel, would suffer in their place. And that, of course, is the Lord Jesus. Uh, That when he hung on the cross, Uh, He received the wrath of God. He went into judgment uh, under God's judgment. He went into exile under God's judgment. And because he went into exile, we can return to God's paradise home in heaven, which the promised land was a symbol of. And so that is the turning point in Isaiah. Comfort, comfort you, my people, says your God, because he has provided a way of atonement. uh, And he's done that through his son, the Lord Jesus. 
And that's the whole pivot point, isn't it? Not I mean, Dr. Jonathan Gibson. I mean, the idea that when yeah. we talk about the prophet, the prophetic part of Isaiah, but really this is more than just saying it's going to happen 700 years from now. It, th this is the proclamation that it's happening right now in Isaiah's time that God is, is spelling this out. We've got a couple minutes left in our time together. And you used a, a phrase that I hadn't heard about Isaiah in, in quite some time when we were talking during the break. T talk about what uh, how Isaiah ends with a... a reverse the curse moment, if you will. Yeah. So um, if you remember uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Chronicles of Narnia, where Aslan dies on the stone table <clears throat> and uh, the children are sad that he's died. Uh, but then he comes back to life and uh, he explains to them why that was. And it was because there was an oracle written before time that um, uh, when the stone table breaks in half, through the death of Aslan, that basically death and sin and the curse would all be put in reverse, that there's a greater magic, is what he explains, than the, the, the evil magic of the White Witch. He said there's a greater magic at work that's undoing all the work of the White Witch. And that's really what happens at the end of Isaiah. You know, Isaiah's all about sin and judgment to begin with, and the curse that has come on the creation and on the nation of Israel, but also on the whole of the created order. But by the end of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 65 and 66, there's the theme of a new creation, that God is going to reverse the curse and bring about eternal life in a new heavens and a new earth. And there's some really lovely passages in Isaiah 65 and 63 that speak about this, uh, speaking about how children will no longer die in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, I think the death of a child something that I've experienced myself uh, is one of the most traumatic uh, consequences of the fall of Adam. The death is this tyrant that comes into our families uninvited and takes our loved ones from us. But Isaiah ends with telling us that that curse of death will one day actually be cursed itself. It'll be put out of the new heavens and the new earth and death will be no more. And so Isaiah 65 and 66 ends on a positive note. It ends on the blessing of a transformed world that has come about through God's saving works in his suffering servant. And uh, that's the good news. It, it's a bit like the end of the book of Revelation, mm -hmm. where, behold, I saw a new heavens and a new earth for the old earth and the old heavens had passed away. And there was no more mm -hmm. death or sighing or sorrow for all of that had passed away. And that's how the book of Isaiah ends, with that really hopeful, triumphant note. And it certainly is one that we can ponder and uh, and celebrate in spite of the uh, tragedies that we experience in this life. And uh, our, our heart goes out to you, Dr. Gibson, for the, the loss that you have experienced. But we know that there is hope, and one day, ultimately, death will be experiencing that type of loss as well, and it's completely defeated, and, and we take hope and comfort in knowing that that is in fact the case. Dr. Jonathan Gibson, uh, currently serving as Associate Professor of Old Testament uh, Theology at Western Theological Seminary, and the author of a brand new book that I can't recommend enough to you. The book is called Isaiah, Good News for the Wayward and the Wandering. We have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and, and uh, even if you pronounce it Isaiah the proper way, as Dr. Gibson does, uh, then we'll know what we're talking, you're talking about when you ring us up. So uh, Dr. Gibson, thank you. God bless you from all of us here at The Bottom Line Show. Thanks very much for having me on the show, Roger, and God bless. 
Well, what a great conversation with Dr. Jonathan Gibson today here on The Bottom Line. We've got three copies of his book to give away today here on this Everyone Wednesday. I would love to send one to you. Isaiah, Good News for the Wayward and Wandering is the title of the book, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. As more and more people are crying out for justice and civil rights and things of that nature, isn't it nice to know that there is a book in the Bible, Isaiah, that really does challenge us to love what is good and just and merciful and to focus on those things, to turn away from sin and turn toward godliness and also dependency on Jesus Christ as outlined by the prophet Isaiah. Dr. Jonathan Gibson gives us a great resource to do just that. 800-227-5278. The book is called Isaiah, Good News for the Wayward and Wandering. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. I mentioned earlier today being Everyone Wednesday. Uh, we have three copies of the book to give away, but we have lots of other resources that you'll want to get into as well. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, when you talk about the Bible and you talk about the work of God and what's happening in the world today, sometimes it's a little demoralizing to see what's happening to Christianity here in the West. But when you see what's happening in other parts of the world, it gets encouraging. Sometimes it takes someone with trained eyes for the Middle East in particular to... uh, to give us a fresh perspective. Leela Gilbert is a longtime friend of the Bottom Line Show and a personal friend of mine. She is Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom at the Family Research Council, and she remains a fellow at Hudson Institute's Center for Religious Freedom. She wrote a piece for the Washington Stand, which is a publication of Family Research Council that we're posting at thebottomlineshow.com. It talks about good news from Iran, a million new Christian believers, a story you may not have heard. I'm going to share that article with you on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the bottom line. My thanks again to Dr. Jonathan Gibson for the outstanding conversation about his book, the commentary on the book of Isaiah. It's called Isaiah, Good News for the Wayward and Wandering. We've got three copies of this book to give away and we're giving away today at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And of course, since it is Everyone Wednesday, everybody who calls is going to win something. We routinely have uh, you know, scores of people who call in on Wednesdays. And you know, good for you. If you want to have something to read that you'll really enjoy, that will be very encouraging to you, uh, today's a great day to call. Tomorrow, we've got an even better thing, getting ready for 4th of July. Talk Great, great new book about uh, American Christianity. Uh, 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 it's, I can't wait for tomorrow's program, but I'm, we're going to focus on today right now. One thing at a time, as my wife would say. 800-227-5278 for Dr. Jonathan Gibson's commentary on the book of Isaiah. Leela Gilbert, longtime friend of The Bottom Line Show. Leland and I have known each other for 15 plus years. And shortly after we met, she had been uh, working on a book project. First time I met her, actually, she had, she was a single mom herself, and she uh, co-authored a book on single parenting. And I thought, well, this is really interesting. We had her on Homeward, Jim Burns' radio program, and it's really great. I had no idea she had such a heart for the Middle East. And she had uh, gotten a book deal to work on some project, and she thought, you know, here I am single, my kids are grown, um, I've always wanted to go to the Holy Land, I'm going to rent an apartment in Israel, 
and spend the next year working on this book. Doesn't that sound like a great life? Well, Leela has become, she wound up staying a whole decade, and she's become one of the foremost authorities for basically giving Western American Christian vision to what's happening in the Middle East with, of course, the confluence of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. She currently serves as the Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom at the Family Research Council. She's also a fellow at Hudson Institute's Center for Religious Freedom. And FRC has a new publication called The Washington Stand. And this is Leela's editorial from about a week ago about what's happening in Iran with uh, Christians converting from Islam. What first comes into your mind when you see the word Iran in the headlines? Some of us immediately reflect on the Islamic Republic of Iran's relentless efforts to develop a nuclear weapon. Remember ISIS and ISIL. While their government-sponsored mobs chant death to America and death to Israel. For others, it's Israel's relentless military aggression in the Middle East and assassination squads everywhere. Meanwhile, those of us who focus on international religious freedom recall that year after year, Iran is listed as one of the 10 worst persecutors of Christians in the entire world. But there's another story, Leela writes, that isn't widely reported in our American media. Amazingly, there's an explosive number of conversions to Christianity taking place in Iran. Now, this is you've heard this anecdotally from others, but this is Leela's firsthand report for Family Research Council. Leela writes, I first became aware of this surprisingly good news when I lived in Israel. It was talked about among groups who were focused on Middle East evangelism. Then after I returned to the U.S., she's based on the East Coast now, I read an unexpected report by Daniel Pipes, a Jewish researcher and author and a friend of mine who wrote about it in Newsweek. And here's what he had to say. Something religiously astonishing is taking place in Iran, where an Islamist, an Islamist government rather, has ruled since 1979. Christianity is flourishing there. The implications are potentially profound. Consider some testimonials. David Yaganazar of Elam Ministry stated that in 2018, quote, Iranians have become the most open people to the gospel, end quote. And also in 2018, the Christian Net Broadcasting Network found that, quote, Christianity is growing faster in the Islamic Republic of Iran than in any other country in the world. This trend results from an extreme form of Shiite Islam imposed by the theocratic regime. An Iranian church leader explained in 2019, what if I told you that mosques are empty inside Iran? What if I told you that no one follows Islam inside of Iran? What if I told you that the best evangelist for Jesus was the Ayatollah Khomeini? Leela continues, confirming these statements, a significant survey which was taken in 2020 by an organization called Gamoan, which is a secular Netherlands-based research group, reported that there are far greater numbers of Christian believers in Iran than ever before. More than one million, as a matter of fact. Uh, those involved with house church movements in Iran are convinced that they are there are likely several million Christian believers there. Not just one million, but several million. Leela continues, in my research and interviews, it has become clear that new Christians' witness to others is mostly shared in quiet conversations, encouraged by low-profile online Bible studies, and affirmed by visions, dreams, and miraculously answered prayers. Due to their risky circumstances, recent Christian converts are enthusiastically communicating about their changed lives with friends and loved ones, but quietly and carefully, of course. However, their discreet but persistent witness accounts for 
witness accounts for the extraordinary number of new Iranian believers who meet in small house churches. Wow, that is so encouraging. Leela continues. These house churches are usually comp- are comprised rather of no more than 10 to 15 believers. On a given day, they arrive one by one at a small apartment or other nondescript location. After the last one enters, the door closes and locks, and they all take a deep breath and relax, greeting each other warmly. A few minutes later, the little gathering begins to sing, very softly, accompanied by a quietly strummed guitar. They're cautious. They don't want their voices to be heard beyond the apartment's thin walls. But soon, with closed eyes and hands lifted heavenward, they are lost in praise and worship music. Later, a teaching from a biblical passage is offered, and a communion service takes place. And finally, after more conversation, they leave one by one. Some house churches have continued for years without intrusion by government authorities. Others have experienced devastating interferences. Sudden invasions by state authorities can happen at any time. Only rarely are they preceded by a threatening text message or phone call. Everyone knows about Christian gatherings in which, without warning, a dozen or more officials have burst into a small meeting and roughly arrested everyone there. Typically, these authorities also literally tear apart the residents, searching for laptops or phones or evangelistic publications, including Bibles and other books. They're also looking for videos and DVDs, anything they can confiscate and label as, quote-unquote, evidence against these Christians. Arrests are made based on accusations such as, quote-unquote, are you ready for these charges? They can be arrested for insulting Islam or conducting deviant activity that contradicts or interferes with the sacred law of Islam. The house church participants, including recent converts, know very well that the aftermath of such raids also can be perilous. Continuing threats of violence, lost employment, expulsion from school or university, confiscated cash, and the endangerment of other family members. Leela continues, everyone knows that sexual violence against a mother, a wife, a girlfriend, or daughter is likely to follow. Still, with all this in mind, Iranian house church Christians are extraordinarily courageous, and sometimes the price they pay for their boldness is exceptionally painful. The words of Leela Gilbert today here on The Bottom Line, talking about the house church movement in Iran, the million new Christians that we know of in this country, and the prospect that that number may actually be more like 10 million or so. We'll hear more of what Leela has to say about this exciting news from Iran coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100. 
It all counts towards saving babies' lives. KBrightRadio.com. Hit the preborn banner right now. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the program. We are still giving away those three copies of Dr. Jonathan Gibson's book, Isaiah, Good News for the Wayward and Wandering. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we think about those who are wayward and wandering, Many people who are darkening the doorways in our churches are professing Christians who really do not have changed hearts. And I think one of the reasons why I love the, uh, uh, the book by Jonathan Gibson uh, is that uh, he talks about you know, the Isaiah in terms that we can understand here today. You know, the, the fact that there's... Uh, there's so many people who during Isaiah's, Isaiah's day did not hear the prophecy, but the prophecy was, in fact, the good news. It was the gospel, repent from sin, you know, look to the Savior. I mean, for unto us a child is born, was prophesied 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And yet the parallel between Hezekiah, who was coming immediately, and then the long term, uh, shows us that God is a present and future God. Uh, and also, as Bob Bennett would say, the Lord of the past as well. There are people in Iran right now who are turning away from Islam, and to, it's a majority Muslim country in name only, apparently. And it's amazing to hear the report that Leela Gilbert shared in the Washington Stand about the number of empty mosques that are there and how few people are actually practicing. When uh, Dr. Hamos Shariat of Iran Alive Ministries was on with me recently, he said, you know, Iran is a country of about 87 million people and less than a third of them now are actually practicing Muslims. So you could do the math there. That's a you know, 29, 58 million uh, Ira- Iranians, not Iraqis, but Iranians are actually potential for Christianity. There's less than 30 million of the 87 who are, uh, are Muslim and they're kind of Islam in name only, if you will. Uh, Leela Gilbert writes about this article that's up at the, uh, from the Washington Stand is up at the thebottomlineshow.com. She continues, prominent organizations who report on Iran's abuse of Christian believers, including the Vatican and several Protestant groups, declare that the regime has recently increased its abuses, including surveillance, arrest, and imprisonment of house church leaders and those who worship in their homes. True justice seldom follows. Open Doors International acknowledged that their watchdog organization, quote, is appalled by the testimonies of violations of due process that took place in the courtrooms, including humiliating remarks from the judge, the court's unconcealed favor of the prosecution side, the defendant's occasional lack of access to a lawyer, and verdicts in less than 10 days, clearly without sufficient consideration of evidence. And yet... As Leela Gilbert writes, she says, as I've learned about the many abuses suffered by our Christian brothers and sisters in Iran, I've also been awestruck by their courage and boldness and by the remarkable results. More than a million new converts, these are people part of the MBB, Muslim background believers, are now reading the Bible for the first time. They're praying, they're gathering in small groups, they're sharing their new faith with friends and family. In spite of the risks, their faith is amazing, encouraging, and inspiring. So Leela concludes, when we see Iran in the headlines, we are wise to be concerned. 
Let's also pray for God's intervention into the regime's deadly intentions, but let's also remember our little-known but rapidly growing Christian family inside Iran's borders. Their bold example of courage in the face of persecution shines brightly amid the ever-increasing darkness in the Middle East. Amen and amen. Lord God, thank you for our brothers and sisters in Iran. Thank you for the work that you're doing there. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to stand with them in prayer. And thank you for allowing us to be encouraged by their example. The fact that they are not looking at this life right now and saying, this is something I'm trying to hold on to. What's more important is if the evil is coming for their very lives, they want to be professing faith in you, Jesus Christ, when they wind up losing their earthly existence. And they want to tell their friends about it. And they're not just taking for granted that their family and friends who were born in Iran are sentenced to a lifetime of Islamism, but rather that there is hope. May we be that bold, Father. May we not be so tethered to the things of this life and this world that we neglect to share our faith in Christ with others, that we don't just look at people and say, wow, those churches are full. So the work here is through. May we challenge our pastors, the men and women who are leading our congregations, to preach the true gospel of repentance from the pulpit so that those who come may hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. I can still remember visiting a church that my parents were serving at one time, and they'd done a a Palm Sunday celebration, kind of a musical deal for uh, the church. And afterwards, I was talking to one of the members of the church and he said gosh I never knew Passover was about the angel of death passing over and I was telling, sharing that story with my dad afterwards he goes boy I'd hope he'd figure that out by now he's been a member of this church for 40 years never give up keep preaching the good news keep preaching the gospel story and the gospel message that is good news indeed to preach and that's the bottom line for our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon and Rabbi Schneider with Discovering the Jewish Jesus. Coming up next, for those who remain, Ann White talking about courage for life. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, welcome back to this special edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Everyone, Wednesday edition of the program, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. A few years ago, I had the privilege of meeting Ann White at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. Ann is a native Carolinan who founded the ministry Courage for Life uh, after she moved to Atlanta in 1978. Uh, God's word brought restoration to her life and her marriage, and it's really set her ministry on fire. We had a We've had a couple of meetings since then. I wanted to return to one of those and revisit it and let you know that one of the prizes we're giving away today here on this Everyone Wednesday is a copy of Ann's book called Courage for Life, Discover a Life Full of Confidence, Hope, and Opportunity. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com. Let's get into part one of my conversation with author Ann White on today's edition, this Everyone Wednesday edition of The Bottom Line. Well, we are here on the convention floor. Well, and we're not on the convention floor. We're in the media center. We're in a ballroom and at the Nashville uh, Convention Center for National Religious Broadcasters at Opryland. Ann White is with me today here on The Bottom Line. Great to have Ann back in the studio with us, even though it's our remote studio. Ann, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show Thank today. Thank you so much for having me back. It's we great ta- to be with you well, and your audience. Well, we talked about Courage for Life, and it was very, very popular with our our, our listeners really resounded. You have a new uh, devotional book that I think is, is really, yes. it's, it's very eye-catching and <laughs> it's very nice. Uh, she is strong and courageous. Talk about the need for this type of resource because there are lots of them like this. I'm sure you Certainly. looked and said there are tons of them. Why would I want to do another one? Well, you know what? I think, it, especially in our culture today, 
we need more courageous faith. We need more um, biblically-based devotional reading that's going to encourage us each and every day to wake up and embrace our God-given courage and pursue the dreams that God puts on our hearts. So She is Strong and Courageous is just that. It's 90 days of courage focused primarily for women because it's about 90 courageous faith women. And so each day is practical. We focus on a woman of the a woman of the Bible or a woman in history. Maybe Ruth Bell Graham, mm-hmm. maybe Rosa Parks. Mm-hmm. You know, you name it. There's a lot of incredible women in this book, and then maybe even some in our culture today that I talk about, um, like Linda Fuller with mm-hmm. Habitat for Humanity, mm-hmm. or or Kay Arthur. We yes. have such courageous yes, women of faith do. that we can be encouraged by. Can you talk just a little bit about what you mean by courage? Because I, I see terms like being fierce and bold mm. and whatever. Whenever it comes to women and the women's movement. And I know my wife loves to watch those, like, you know, Project Runway things and stuff where they're learning how to, you know, how do you dress people and how do you present it? And I hear that bandied about so much that I I often wonder, does courage just mean you put on really cool clothes and walk down the catwalk? I mean, where's the courage in that? Talk about what you're talking about with biblical courage. Mm -hmm. Real courage is God-given courage. It's it's being willing to be seen. It's being willing to take that first step. Mm Uh, it's really what my story has been all about because for many, many years, even as a Christian, I still had a lot of brokenness within me yeah. from my past that had not been dealt with. And so until I was willing to be, God called me in 2011, Annie, it's time for you to be truthful and transparent. And that took a lot of courage. I'll bet. I'll bet. Uh, where did you find the courage? Well, you know what? I had to get to the end of myself first. You know, it is about that surrender. We surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. But every day is an act of surrender to the Lord because when we truly trust Him, we want to trust Him or we need to trust Him in every aspect of our lives. And so I had to get to the end of myself where I felt like I was in control and I had to let God take control. And that came um, at a crisis moment in my life. And that's what birthed the book, Courage for Life, really talks about my story, my walk from going from fear-based decision-making to Mm -hmm. faith-based decision-making. And White is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about this brand new devotional called She is Strong and Courageous, and we'll have a link for this up at thebottomlineshow.com. When you said that phrase, I had to get to the end of myself, you know, Mm -hmm. there's the brokenness, the things that need to be dealt with. It's very, very interesting that that there there are so many of us who want to kind of skip past that part. Mm. It's like, God, will you just heal me instantaneously or you know deliver me from whatever it is mm-hmm. the salvation's instantaneous but the sanctification takes longer the healing can be and and it's all on god's time mm-hmm. talk about what you learned during that time that taught you about cur- courage that you then pour into this new devotional certainly well once i got to the end of myself and i really hit the floor i, I do talk about it in my original book but i talk about that very moment and where i was at that time where i said okay god i don't know what to do anymore I can't fix this. I can't Mm -hmm. fix my marriage. I can't fix me. I can't fix what's going on with the anxiety and the depression. Lord, I need your help. This is not something medication can do. I need your help. Where do I take this next step? And that's when he said, be truthful and transparent. And I was actually on a trip to Israel and I talk about that, but I talk about the fact that he called me to write down the truth, the reality of what was going on in my life and take it to my pastor and his wife who I'd known for 15 years. I was an avid Bible teacher in our church, uh, teaching classes back to back on Sunday mornings, two classes, and no one knew what was really going on deep down inside and what was really going on behind the walls of my home 
except for me and God. And may I venture to say, and I, I don't want to speak for everyone here, but I'm sure that you found this to be very true as well. From the pastoral side of things, there are people in your congregation right now who look like they have it all together. They look like they are the champions of the women's Bible study or the youth group or whatever it is. And deep down they're saying, gosh, if anybody knew what's really going on or what's happened in my past, they, would, they wouldn't even want me in the church anymore. Do you think that's why so many women in particular kind of keep that stuff to themselves? And Absolutely. They don't? I did it for 20 two years mm. in church, mm -hmm. you know, until I realized church should be the safest place for broken sinners and yes. broken Christians yeah. to go. Yeah. Yet it seems like it is not in most cases. We're afraid of being judged. We're afraid of being rejected. All of those fear-based decision makings that we're basing out the things that we do and the things that we hide because we're so afraid. And God says, anything that you uncover I'll cover it. Mm. I've covered it with my grace mm -hmm. already. Mm -hmm. We yeah. just let it be known and let other people know. Because when we walk around like I did for so many years and walk through those church doors and put on that mask of perfection and put on that mask of I'm the, I'm the perfect little Christian, it is so not real. And no one is truly, everyone has a piece of brokenness in their life uh, because we're human. We're broken sinners in need of a Savior every single day. Anne White with Courage for Life is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Courageforlife.org is the website. I, just as you're thinking, this is a, off the top of my head, but I, I, I wanted to share it with you because I, hopefully it'll help. While we are here in Nashville, my wife is home with a contractor who's doing some resurfacing of our kitchen cabinets. And we're getting a new paint job. I've seen the pictures. It looks fantastic. But one of the things he discovered when he took the doors open underneath the sink, had to take some things out and notice that there was a little bit of water damage. There's some wood damage. He had to do a lot of repair work underneath there. And I thought, the kitchen and the cupboards, that's kind of like the way we present our faith mm -hmm. sometimes, isn't it? Where, and as long as the cabinets look great on the outside, oh, yeah. who cares what's on the inside? Just don't open that door. <laughs> you open that door and you're going to find that the dishes are going to fall out because they're all stacked up or there's mold or there's mm -hmm. you know, water damage underneath. And instead, God says, open the door. Yes. Be vulnerable and let me come in because I can heal that. Amen. I can fix that. Amen. And I can and yeah. I can tell in your countenance, I love this the last time we were together, there's this peace about you now that I'm sure draws people to you and says, either that or they say, Anne thinks she's got it all together and she's so perfect and well, I could never hang no. out with her. No. Talk, talk about vulnerability, why that's so important. It's critically important, not only for ourselves because God begins to heal those broken pieces when we begin to bring it open. And that's what happens. We work with at-risk women in our ministry, work with incarcerated women, trying to help them realize that if in a safe environment you can begin to expose the pain and the, the intense trauma that you dealt with as a child, sure. those pieces can begin to heal. And with God at the foundation of that and his word in your life, your life can truly change. So talking about transparency and vulnerability, it's a scary place to be. It takes courage. You know, I love the story of Elijah. Mm -hmm. Oh, and his mountaintop experience. God prepared him so well First for Kings that. 18 is one oh, of my favorite books of the Bible. It's incredible. So he goes and he has this incredible mountaintop experience and kills all of the prophets of Baal mm -hmm. and all of that happens. He's so courageous, right? What happens the next day? Mm-hmm. He's running he's for running his away life. From it. Yeah, because Jezebel's going to kill me. Right. Oh, my gosh. He's scared to death. <laughs> yeah. And he's asking God, please just take my life. I can't do this anymore. How many of us have felt that way, even mm -hmm. as Christians, to where one day we wake up and we feel like, okay, we can take on the world. The next day we wake up and we need God's courage. So every single day 
we need to embrace the Lord, let him start our day and allow him to give us the courage we need to face whatever in life is going on that particular day. This devotional book, She is Strong and Courageous, will give you a 90-day kickstart, if you yes. will, to get your faith on fire. doesn't matter when you start. If, you, if you're thinking, okay, devotional, well, January already came and went and I missed it. So I guess I'll wait till next January. No. no. No, no, no. The first day to start is now, you know, and, and take it 90 days from there. We'll have a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to talk about an audio Bible and an app that goes along with it that is very, very powerful in terms of not the Word of God being proclaimed, but who is doing the preaching. And uh, you are part of a project that has actually taken God's Word, recorded in audio format, uh, the, every word from Genesis to Revelation, mm -hmm. but the the wrinkle here, the, the angle is all voiced by women. Yes. Never happened before. We're going to take a break. I want to give you a chance to unpack that on the other side of this break Wonderful. as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Ann White is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, the founder of Courage for Life Ministries. Very easy to remember, courageforlife.org. And I love websites where you don't have to spell it out. You know, all the words, there's no, no funny spelling, no weird numbers, whatever. It's just courageforlife.org. When you go to courageforlife.org, of course, you'll learn more about Ann's latest devotional book, which is called She is Strong and Courageous, which we also have a link for up at thebottomlineshow.com. But also an app that you have developed that features the Bible written uh, recorded in audio format and recorded on voice all by women. Why was it so important for you to do that? Well, Roger, we work with at-risk women. And so God called me, you know, through my healing mm -hmm. and healing the broken scars of my past, I wanted to reach into the lives of other women who have dealt with abuse, uh, neglect, abandonment, things that even on a greater scale than I ever dealt with. But mm -hmm. I can relate to these women. So God called us into the prisons to work with women that have been incarcerated and have dealt with a lot of trauma in their life. We knew in working with at-risk women that we needed gender-specific treatment. That's key. When you're working with a woman, you avoid bringing in a male voice sure. because many times that reminds them of their abuser. Well, we knew God's Word obviously is foundational. It's transformed my life, um, being in His Word on a regular basis. And when I say regular basis, every day, putting a piece of His Word, we can do that. And the audio Bible is a great way to do that. So we knew they needed, number one, they needed God's Word in a format of translation that they could easily understand mm -hmm. because of their educational backgrounds. And then we also knew that it needed to also be in an audio format because many women, especially broken women, are intimidated by God's word. They're afraid mm. that they don't. How can I read it? How can I understand mm -hmm. it? Um, so 
we started producing or started looking for actually in 2017 we said okay let's go look for a women's red audio bible it's got to be out there right and it was not <laughs> it was and god not. said oh yeah it's funny you're looking for this because exactly. you're going to do it exactly mm-hmm. yep yep <laughs> so by march of 2018 we started recording we finished the new testament and we launched our audio bible app um, last june and it is the courage for life bible available on all android and apple devices just go to the app store and download the cfl bible or courage for life bible it's free it's free it's a free app and you can listen to the new testament and eight books of the old testament which which includes Psalms and Proverbs and six other incredible books of the Old Testament. And we just finished recording the other 31 books. They're in editing, Love which it. takes a long time. But we will be adding those 31 books on August 1st of this year. And it will be the first complete female-voiced audio Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And so we've worked with Tyndale Publishing House on this Good for the for New them. Living Translation. Mm-hmm. And we're adding, you know, there's commentary in there that help you understand how to listen or study God's Word and mm-hmm. apply it to your daily life. It's challenging um, our readers and listeners to look for those redemptive stories, those stories of courage that God has given us so many examples all throughout the Bible of courageous men and women who have walked this journey before us, and they inspire us to do the same. I'm talking with Ann White today here on The Bottom Line. I'm inspired uh, listening to you talk about this new app and this new female-voiced Bible. I, can guys get it, too? Absolutely. I, we I, have I, I, so <laughs> many men that listen to this. A couple of years ago, I, I, I've been reading the one-year Bible for probably 20, maybe 25 years. Mm-hmm. It's life-changing. I mean, people say, well, you're just reading the Bible. I mean, yeah, this is recreational. It's not. I'm not studying it. I'm just reading it. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years ago, I had surgery and I was going through a kind of rehab phase. And so it was easier for me to pop it on on my earbuds mm-hmm. and listen to it being read instead. And now that's how I prefer it. Faith comes by hearing. Amen. I love hearing the word of God read and mm-hmm. proclaimed this way. And I think it's it's key. And the New Living Translation is awesome. It I mean, is. For Incredible this type of study, it's very, very important. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned prison ministry. You talk about working with at-risk women, yes. uh, you know, and, and women who are incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that passion develop? Well, I knew I was supposed to be working with at-risk women. And so I, in my mind, you know how we always have our idea of what we think God's going right, to call us into. Right. So I thought, okay, God, I need to be going into homeless shelters and battered women's shelters and helping ground them in your word. And God said, that's great. And, and that would be a wonderful thing to do. Um, but he had something else in mind. Those doors were not opening. I got with the Salvation Army and said, hey, let me go into your homeless shelters and, uh, and your battered women's shelters. And for some reason, they loved it, but the doors weren't opening. And yet he began opening the doors into the, our state prison systems mm, be on, a, okay. on a state level. He was putting me in front of commissioners and um, state chaplains and giving me the opportunity to go in there. And I said, well, God, I can't even get devices in that have this audio Bible in. What's this all about? And the first state we met with was the state of Georgia. And sitting in a conversation with them, we were sharing our mental health curriculum. We have a nine-week curriculum that we offer free to any inmate system, uh, whether it's a you know, local system or a federal or state system, mm-hmm. um, correction system, that walks them through a mental health and biblically-based nine-week course. Wow. Okay, so we've got that going in in three states now. But we were sitting in front of the commissioner and and state chaplain and assistant commissioner in Georgia and and discussing this, and we just happened to mention the audio book. By the way, we're producing this audio Bible. It's coming out in a few months. And they said, do you think we could get that on the inmates' tablets? Mm. 
Roger, it was an aha moment. Yeah. God knew all of this was for such a time as this. Amen. Amen. And so all of this, all of the inmates in many of our states, not all, but in, in some of our states, are issued tablets, safe tablets, where they can get hope-filled content, whether it's educational mm -hmm. content or yep. faith-based content that's available that, for them to upload. So in October of last year, October 1st of 2019, we gave the files to the state. We'd given it to them before, and we finally got it uploaded, and it was made available on October 1st to over 52,000 inmates in the state wow. of Georgia. Wow! Over 22, just in that first 90 days, uploaded that Bible and started listening to the My New goodness. Testament portion of the How Women's Audio Bible. 22,000 out of the 52 and more have, wow. they're uploading more and more today. I don't know if you know this, but there are over 2.2 million people in our prison system throughout the United number. States. 10% yeah. of those are women, about 213,000. But every year, 600,000 on average people rotate in and out of our prison system. Okay, so you're talking about the difference between the population right now, Absolutely. but then and the people are coming in and going out. Absolutely, because yeah. there's always a revolving door yep. in there. 95% of the people that are incarcerated will be going home at some point in time. Mm -hmm. And we want them to go home grounded in God's Word, dealt with their mental health um, issues, and able to have that healthy, free relationship with Jesus Christ that truly sets them free, like he said. He said, I came to set the captives free, free indeed, not just for your salvation, for you to end up in heaven, but for your everyday life. This is amazing. I'm so enjoying this conversation here, selfishly. I mean, this is my job, but I just love these these stories that Ann White is sharing with us today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're on location in Nashville at Opryland at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Go to courageforlife.org. We'll link it up at thebottomlineshow.com. The first thing you see is how to get this app for the first female-voiced audio Bible app and as Ann mentioned, we're almost near completion. If you're hearing this later, after we've broadcast it a couple mm -hmm. of times, by August 1st of 2020, that's the completion date for the entire Word of God. Mm -hmm. It's not compromising the Word of God. A lot of people are coming out with different types of Bibles that are, are changing translations. Oh. I was reading about a church in San Diego that is trying to be gender non-binary, and so they're, they're, they, yeah, it's, it's crazy what people are doing to the Word of God. This is God's Word. The only difference is you're hearing the voice of God, or the Word of God spoken through female voices, which as Ann White has pointed out, what a great ministry application for a woman who says, I can't trust God because he sounds like my husband, he sounds like my father, he sounds like that, that guy who abused me verbally or emotionally or physically. Mm -hmm. And to have another woman saying, hey, I'm walking this journey with you. And to hear God's word spoken in her voice, I, talk about breaking down barriers. I just get chills thinking about it. It really is. And you know what surprised us even more? And it didn't surprise God, I know. Mm -hmm. But what we found out is our, our men in prison, because they're making this available to men as well, mm -hmm. our men have been wounded by men in their life. They love the women. They love hearing a woman's voice read God's word to them. Mm -hmm. Because if anyone ever shared Christ with them, it was a woman in their life. Many mm -hmm. of these men come from fatherless homes. Yes, they come from yes. very broken and abusive I interviewed a guy who was well. a shot caller in a Mexican gang in L.A. Oh. And the woman who led him to Christ, his name is Casey Amen. Diaz, he, he was on death row. No, he was, no, he was in solitary. Mm -hmm. And she used to come as part of a group of uh, these Catholic women who used to come every week and visit mm. the prisoners. And the guard told her, when she walked down, she said, who's the, who's the new guy? The guard told her, don't bother your time with him. He's never getting out. Oh, wow. And so she said, I went over and I introduced myself and she shared Christ with him. And uh, years later, uh, she came, was part of his wedding once he got out. And this is a guy who, he was ordering hits in prison. Mm -hmm. And 
And once he became a Christian and then he was released in the general population, he figured, okay, well, I'm not going to be here long <laughs> because, mm-hmm. you know, I had so many people executed mm-hmm. that someone's going to have a hit for me. And he said, God protected me. He wound up baptizing 2,000 guys while he was in prison. Oh, and so it's, just, it's a fascinating story. But so I'm resonating with your work, Ann White, mm-hmm. and Courage for Life and the prison ministry that you have and working with at-risk women. And it just, it's so very, very exciting. Um, our time has gone by way too quickly. If you, there's one message here that you want to share to women who are seeking hope and healing right now. Oh. It's the platform is yours. Absolutely. I want you to put God in your every single day life. I want you to start and listen to this while you're putting on your makeup, while you're driving in your car, you commute to work or commute to pick up those kids. Listen to God's word and let it fill you with the courage that you need to pursue your God-given dreams. Mm. Powerful words indeed from Ann White, the founder of Courage for Life. Courageforlife.org is the website. Download the app for the all-female-voiced Bible. Get your copy of She is Strong and Courageous, the 90-day devotional for women. We have a link up there. We're not selling it at bottomlineshow.com. Please know. We're putting a link up so you can find it, and you can purchase it where you want to, but I highly recommend that you purchase it. Ann White, thank you for the work that you've done, and thanks for being with me today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you, Roger. And that concludes my conversation with Ann White, the founder of Courage for Life and author of the book, Courage for Life. Discover a life of full of confidence, hope, and opportunity. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're giving away a copy of the book right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, Ann White's book, Courage for Life, is our giveaway this half hour. But everyone who calls in on everyone Wednesday is going to win something. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, I want to take a look at the word courage. What exactly does it mean for us in the church? And how has the world's definition changed the way people outside the church take a look at it? We'll look at that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment. And the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, You know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat. And you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. My thanks again to Ann White of the Courage for Life Ministries for joining me today here on The Bottom Line and having a conversation about the book, Courage for Life, Discover a Life Full of confidence, hope, and opportunity. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and we're giving away a copy of the book right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 The number to get you through to the bottom line. Tharseo is the word in Greek. 
that means to be emboldened to show courage. It's a reference to, uh, if you see it in the biblical sense, it means that God is empowering a believer with an inner attitude of courage. And it's important for us as Christians to understand that oftentimes we'll say, okay, be strong. You know, we hear the uh, be strong and courageous line. You know, uh, we hear about Joshua and all those. And, and, and we think, okay, this is so very important for us to have that attitude. But, you know, it's really important to understand that courage isn't something we can just will ourselves to have. You know, be strong, be brave. You know, and you hear that parents telling kids this all the time. And, and they're trying to figure out, well, how do I do this? What, 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 how do I get this? You cannot have biblical courage if you do not have the Holy Spirit living in your heart. And people will be loud and they'll be brash and they'll spend time in the weight room. And what was it? I think of the, the noted theologian, Eleanor Roosevelt. She wasn't a theologian, obviously, who used to say the reason that she was able to be strong and courageous was she used to pick one thing every day that truly scared her. And then she did it. And I thought, well, that's great. In your human sense, you can kind of trick your mind into just about anything. But what happens when it comes down to really needing courage, courage to speak the truth in love to people who don't want to hear it, courage to stand up to an angry mob that says, I believe in pride and homosexuality and blah, 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 what do I do? And, you know, you have to say, well, here's the thing. I love you. I love you as Jesus loves all of us, you know, and everyone who's been created by God. But I also love you enough to tell you that, guess what? (laughs) Greater love hath no one than they lay down their life for their friends. They lay down their life for the truth, not a lie. And what you're living is a lie. Not because I said so, but because God says so. And that's just one example of how important it is for us to be courageous. Literally just means to live our lives as Christians, to speak the truth, and to be willing, like these people in Iran, to lose your life, to lose your home, to lose your job. Do you have that kind of courage? That's good news, and that's the bottom line.